Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said could be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour. It's another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. I... <laughs> big show tonight, obviously. Huge show. And um, we're going to... Uh, we're going to give you an update on how that project went, the ISP project where we in, where essentially set up internet across a city, a small city in Minnesota. An update is coming on that. But to kick off the hour, I wanted to open with a, what I think is a rather amusing story I stumbled on. Now, from time to time, dating all the way back to the Linux Action Show days, we have talked about where Linux succeeds. We're not afraid of of admitting where Linux doesn't succeed, but we like to look at success stories. And one of the things that sort of doomed last was the fact that Linux started to succeed everywhere. So, it yeah, it, it you know it just became the de facto standard in so many places. And uh, I I just noticed now that we're having some sort of an issue with our uh, phone system. So if you are trying to call... I have successfully... Nope, not that one. Not that button. Um, what, what does this button do? This is live radio. That's... I feel like that's a dial tone. That's... That's definitely a dial tone. I, I apologize. I feel uh, I feel badly about this. Um, so anyway, I I stumbled on a uh, an internet post on Reddit, and it is the top trending post on r slash Linux. And here is the headline. You ready for this? You have successful. There we go. Girlfriend uses Linux and FOSS for camming. I gave my girlfriend a Logitech Brio for her birthday and installed pop underscore OS exclamation mark and set her up with OBS so she can stream herself to the world. She uses Flowblade to edit her commissions. Everything works. I couldn't be more proud of her. I never have to play tech support. The only problem I found is the performance of Brio's drivers on the Linux universe uh, UVC. So that's, that's essentially the... Uh, the, uh, the, that is like the, the Linux equivalent of the, um, uh, what's the Windows uh, media? It's like a general Linux video driver, so you can use any device in it, and it all appears as, as the exact same. She doesn't get 4K output, which is fine, because who streams a cam girl at 4K? And I think they prefer the higher frame rates at 60 frames per second at 1080p. But the most ex- the most significant focus hurting issue the most significant focus hunting issues is the biggest pain. And so essentially he is talking about how Linux has succeeded in this environment. Linux has succeeded in the, 
<laughs> in the uh, in the cam girl world. So, uh, you know, who am I to judge, right? I mean, that's a success. A success is is something to be praised, and and we're happy for them. So, uh, congratulations to uh, uh, tame tamer of horses on your uh, on your quest with your girlfriend uh, for Linux. We're happy for you, and uh, glad Linux can succeed where Windows will fail. Because, as we all know, nothing is worse than when you're on those kinds of sites and your computer locks up, right? <laughs> I just, I, I don't even, I'm not even sure exactly where to go with that. I just struck me as pretty funny. Again, uh, I, I'm not sure if our phones are working or not working or, or what's going on. That Reddit post actually got locked. Chat room is pointing out, uh, Emacs uh, points out in the chat room that uh, that thread actually got locked. Do we have phones? I can't tell if we have phones. Um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. This would be a great uh, a great week. If, you are, uh, if you're listening to the stream, you want to join us, you want to be a part of the conversation, why don't you head over to mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. We've got our interactive mumble room there. It's a fantastic way for you to add your voice to the conversation and be heard. I'm going to connect here and jump over into the on-air channel. If I see anybody there, I will, uh, I'll jump in. And uh, in the meantime, hopefully there's, hopefully we can uh, see if we can get our phones fixed. I'm not, uh, not sure what's going on. They see, they seem to be completely locked up. So that sucks for a, yeah, for a call-in show. Um, but, uh, oh, look at that, man. Holy cow, you guys. I, I, I make the announcement and all of a sudden, one, two, three, four, five people jump in there. Hey guys, how's Mumble Room doing? Mumble is fine. Thanks. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you guys. I apologize that there seems to be a, uh, 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 I mean, I guess we just, we, we don't always get to you guys. I mean, I guess is the most, uh, blunt way to put it, right? Well, I'm the gatekeeper, so if there's someone in the in the joint queue, I put him on the show, and then I notice you, give you a notice that there's someone in there. Yeah, I appreciate like, that. Like we did last week, you see, but last week, unfortunately, you, you did not have the time, and he had to go. Maybe next time it works better. Maybe yeah, I, I, do, I do appreciate that, and a huge thanks to Mitfree and uh, all of those guys that participate in the, in the Mumble administration. That's super helpful. We really appreciate it. So thank you very much, guys, for everything that you guys do. It doesn't go unnoticed, and we definitely definitely appreciate you. Um, again, one eight fifty. I just have one now. Yeah, sure. Queue, so I will be away. Fantastic, fantastic. I'll jump down here to restricted casting, but I will. I'll keep you by my side. I I have. I'm I'm hearing in my ear that we have the phones fixed, so you can now join the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I am not going to read what you said, XMN, but it's in the chat room if you want to join the video room. I'm not sure. I think that's a compliment. But uh, I'm told that we have the phones fixed, so uh, you can join the conversation that way. 1-855-450. No, it's 855 The email live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. So, um, kde.org, uh, there is a new release of Plasma for... 5.14, rather. Plasma's KDE lightweight and full-featured Linux desktop. For the last three months, we have been adding new features, fixing bugs, and now we invite you to install Plasma 5.14. A lot of work has been gone into improving Discover, Plasma Software Manager, and among other things, we have added a firmware update feature and many other subtle user interfaces improvements to give it a smoother feel. We have also rewritten many effects in our window manager, Kwin, and have improved slicker animations in your workday. Other improvements we have made include a new display configuration widget, which is useful when giving presentations. Browse the full Plasma 5.14 change log to find more about the tweaks and bug fixes 
featured in this release. Of course, we'll have a link to, to for you for that in the chat in the um, show notes, which you can get at podcast.asknoahshow.com. So one of the things that I thought was really cool, as I was kind of messing around with this, this new screen layout thing, essentially it gives you what, I mean, for lack of a better way to put this, it gives you what Unity has had for years and that I really missed about it. And when, so when you plug in an external display device, it tells you, do you want to mirror the display? And then it shows, you know, a copy of two little squares on, on two different displays. Do you want to shut off the laptop display and just use the external display? Do you want to just use the laptop display and shut off the external display? Not sure why you'd connect an external display if you wanted to do that. Or do you want to span? And um, they're represented as graph graphical features. Now, the only thing left to add to this screen layout system is the ability to drag a monitor from one place to the other, which as far as I'm aware, let's see, because I have it installed here. Uh, which is, uh, is as far as I'm aware, still does not actually exist. You, yeah. So the, it's weird how it does this. So in KDE, in order to mirror the displays, it actually stacks one on top of the other. And uh, I still say Unity had the best multi-monitor display system ever. Um, but they ha so in addition to the display, they also have a new audio widget, um, and it now features a built-in speaker test feature, which is moved from the phone on settings. Um, the network widget now works with SSH VPN tunnels again, which those are the kind of things that I look at and I'm like, really, that was a, that was an issue that we let, <laughs> that we let slide. <laughs> the lock screen now handles, uh, user switching for better usability and security. So this, the, this is, I was playing on my laptop. I don't have currently have KDE on our kitchen computer. Yes. I have a computer in my kitchen that our entire family uses. I, uh, uh, the one of the reasons that I hadn't switched to KDE is one of the things I still liked about Unity was two users could be simultaneously logged in, and you could just click on that user; it would restore that session or drop that session. And uh, we actually use that all the time. Uh, and so uh, when I when I started to play with um, 5.14, as I was looking through the feature list, this is cool. I think this really makes KDE a lot more usable in a lot of other places. Right now at the studio here, we're still using all uh, Unity uh, Unity machines, except our uh, main broadcast machine is, is running CentOS because it has to be rock solid, and <laughs> as only Red Hat can deliver. By the way, speaking of Red Hat, huge thanks and shout out to Steve Ovens and uh, the crew at Red Hat um, that were rocking Ask Noah Swag and handing it out. Um, at Ohio Linux Fest. So if you were at Ohio Linux Fest and you attended one of Steve's talks, then my understanding is that you got some Ask Noah swag, you got some t-shirts and some lanyards and some other stuff that uh, Steve was kind enough to bring out there and, and hand out. And so huge thanks to him and the obviously the entire team at Red Hat for their continued support of the program and and uh, for always being willing to um, come on the air and answer questions. Um, we sure do appreciate it. And uh, thanks for giving us a presence at a conference we weren't able to attend. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. You're on Ask Noah. Hey, Tony, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Um, just wanted to ask a question. I know you're mainly Linux-focused, um, but I I've, been I've been reading a lot about FreeBSD, and I kind of wanted to get your – that's what is one of two questions, mm -hmm. uh, your take on – um, why use one or the other? Like, I know BSD has ZFS and maybe a better network stack from what I read, but kind of wanted to get your take on if you use it in certain situations. Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Tony. Um, 
the answer to the, the, the first answer to the question is, do I use it? Yes, I do. Um, I would, I, I guess I would challenge the better network stack portion of that, but, but everything else is absolutely true. ZFS is fantastic. Here, here, let's start with this. The, the first reason that a lot of people use BSD and the reason that if I was to switch over to BSD full time, this would probably be the reason I would do so. The licensing is different than that of Linux. So the license for Linux basically said, and I'm loosely translating here, so you license nuts, stay off me, but the license loosely translates to, you can use whatever you want to use, and but anything that you contribute has to be has to allow everybody else to use the things that you contribute so that we all can use it. And it basically forces everything to stay, in essence, open source. With BSD, they have a much more liberal license. The license for a BSD license is, and again, loosely translating here, you can basically do whatever you want with it. If you want to take whatever we've created and roll your own product, add a bunch of really cool new features, and then not let us use any of those new cool features, you can do so because that, you know, we don't care. The problem I have with that license is that it, 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 it ensures, basically, that FreeBSD will never, ever, ever truly get ahead. Because if it was ever going, anytime a company like Apple, for example, wants to fork their system and create Darwin, for example, and then make a bunch of really cool innovations to it, they don't have to give that back to the BSD community. Um, and so you basically assure that you, everybody will always take the best from you, and there's no, absolutely no resistance in not giving back. So I, I, that's, that's why, philosophically, I object with their, their license structure. As far as usability... I'll tell you why I don't use it, and then I tell you where the exceptions are. The reason I'm not a full-time free BSD user, despite the fake episode that Alan and I did, is because there's nothing that works in BSD that doesn't work on Linux, and most of the stuff that works on BSD works because of Linux. The notable exception to that is ZFS. There is no better file system on the face of the planet. There is no more streamlined file system on the face of the planet. And if you have storage needs that are at all critical of any kind, you should use nothing other than ZFS on BSD. Because despite what all of the folks who are working very hard and tirelessly to port ZFS to Linux will tell you, ZFS is still not as good on Linux as it is on BSD. And I think I can back that statement up pretty darn well. I have anytime we put in a file server, it's free NAS. And um, if there's a if there is a complicated network system where we are trying to repurpose old machines to be uh, routers, a lot of times we'll use PFSense. So in those appliance like based instances, both in free NAS or in PFSense, BSD is fantastic. Uh, and so I would use it for that. The other thing that I am warming up to is Project Triton. And we have had JT Pennington on the program to talk about uh, Project Titan, essentially the BSD guys have done a lot of really amazing amazing work on their desktop environment, which is uh, Lumina. And um, they have, they went from a hodgepodge, use whatever you want, do kind of whatever you want, and here's the server thing and here's this, to we want to really hone in on the desktop. We want to make an amazing desktop experience. And the first part of making an amazing desktop experience is making a, 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 a window manager desktop, you know, um, environment that is something that rivals KDE or GNOME or, or Mate or whatever. And I think they've done it um, with Lumina. I've played with it a little bit. I, I For a while, I actually installed it on a spare laptop just to kind of goof around with it. 
I still think there are some shortcomings in BSD, but I absolutely think that they definitely have something in the way of it, it kind of in an Apple-esque way, if I'm being honest with you, because Tony, what it does is it, it really starts to feel to me like you only have one choice, but because you only have one choice, it's all hands on deck. Everybody is working on the same problems and in a cohesive manner and, and moving the football down the field rather than, well, I want to do it this way and I want to do it that way. And I think we should do this and I want to do this and I want to make, you know, documentation, not, you know, all that kind of thing. You have everybody working cohesively and together. And I think it really shows with the amount of traction they've made in the short time that the Lumina desktop has has been about. As far as using it over Windows or Mac, I Mac is a, you know, much as I like to hate on Mac, the, the truth is it, it's a, it's a little bit harder to um, it's a little bit harder to make uh, technically sound arguments against the Mac. As far as Windows, any machine essentially, if I needed it to run more than a week at a time, I would definitely want it to run. I definitely choose BSD over Windows, and I'll just find a way to make BSD work, even if it means doing everything in the web browser. Does that does I know anyway? Does that answer your first question? Uh, absolutely, it definitely does, and I appreciate it. Um, the next one is is definitely much easier, I promise. Okay. Um, I don't think that was so, too bad. <laughs> at our at our company here, we um, sort of we share passwords for our different customers. We're a telecommunications company, and unfortunately, right now we do it with an Excel spreadsheet that we share on Google Docs or on Google Sheets. Sure. Um, I'd like to move to something a little bit better. Um, something you know, preferably that would be encrypted. Um, and, you know, have some sort of revision control. Uh, I, I looked at KeePass, and I know with KeePass I can host the file, like the database file, and it can be uh, multiple read uh, or multiple people reading and writing at the same time. I found some applications on Android that we can use. Uh, but I want to know what you guys use in your office, and if you are using something like KeePass, um, how, how are you guys getting everybody to, to be able to connect to that database without using something like Google Drive or WebDAV or, or, or like, how, how do you guys do it? Sure, sure. Uh, so there are, there's a couple of answers to that question. The first, um, the first answer is, uh, do we use KeePass? The answer to that question is yes. We have a shared KeePass database file. Now, I actually, I, again, I question the information you've come across that says that it can multiple reads and multiple writes at the same time. I say that because... In our environment, every time somebody, if somebody leaves KeePass open and somebody else opens it, it gives them a message that says, somebody else is writing to this right now. Do you want to open the database in a read-only form? And we usually just click yes, and then you, you get what you want out of there or whatever. Now, the, the, the answer to how we're syncing that file around, you certainly could use something like Google Drive or Dropbox, but we have gone to a more secure solution, and we are using a program called C-File. And what C-File does is essentially it's an open-source Dropbox replacement. But the thing that we like about C-File is, one, it's completely open-source. Two, it's incredibly secure because it, it, it's layers of security. It's not just one. So, for example, the data inside of the client itself is encrypted, so it's sending encrypted data. But the right, the right, the maintainer of the project doesn't quite trust his ability to implement encryption or trust the encryption that he wrote. So on top of that, we have set it up with HTTPS. So you've got encrypted data going through an encrypted tunnel, going to a server that has encryption at rest. So there's like encryption all over the place, uh, and so it makes for a very, very secure file syncing system it means that we don't even have access to our own customers data and that's what we want 
uh, the, but the, to, to answer your question, the, the, the problem with that system, the problem with the C file slash keypass system, one is that there, it, it's a scalable thing, right? There's only so many people that can uh, access it at the same time. So that's problem one. But the, the second problem that we have run into or that, that uh, makes it inconvenient is when you're working on a client, you might be, there's usually not just one password, right? There's usually numerous passwords for numerous different things. And um, the problem is if we were to create a individual entry for every single client, I don't know how many hundreds of clients we have, finding a given password for a given account, like I could search, um, trying to think of a good example, Amazon, for example, a lot of our customers have Amazon accounts and we order stuff on their Amazon account. My gosh, if we had to, every time we, I, I searched Amazon, I had to go to through, you know, 300 entries of Amazon accounts to find the account that goes to our business and not, it's not always necessarily named with their business name, right? Sometimes they use their personal, you know, Gmail, which have odd and, and funny uh, things. So uh, if, for that reason, what we have gone to doing a lot of times, if they're simple password, oh my gosh, I'm getting a, uh, a phone call. Uh, the, what we've gone to doing for, for more simpler accounts or for, uh, for just kind of a go-to thing, we use uh, OS ticket and our OS ticket instance is also encrypted and so it's a safe place to store customer data in and so what we'll do oftentimes is inside of the customer profile we'll actually put all of the um all of the all of the accounts or all of the passwords and stuff like that and then you can actually create custom forms in OS ticket so for example we do a lot of hospitality management and so we just have a form for the PMS provider and that has the you know authentication information for the PMS provider and every hotel has a phone system so we have the authentication system for the phone system and obviously then we have our stuff like our routers and and switches and stuff like that and so those username and passwords are stored there if they have any servers that there's a few, we have a form for that and that that's a really quick way because we can pull up the client now we know we're just looking for their account information and then at a glance we can see they have you know eight servers and four routers and 13 switches and whatever and I can just click on those things and it shows me the information So if that, I was, uh, that pretty much answers the question. Yeah, thanks for the call. So if I'm a telecommunications company, I guess the the TLDR of that question is I'd be looking at uh, an OS ticket installation because not only will it help you with your password storage, but it it might be a really cool way for you to handle work orders too if you decide to do that. One eight fifty five four fifty no eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Trey calls from Virginia. Hey Trey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi. Um, so. I'd like a little help uh, with my home-built NAS, and then I also have a suggestion for self. You bet. Um, so uh, my my NAS is a uh, um, it's a embedded server board it's based on Xeon D, um, and it's been great running um, Ubuntu 16.04, and I wanted to um, expand my storage. Um, the storage is based on ZFS, um, and uh, and also upgrade to 1804. Um, but I wanted to install the server onto an M.2 drive, and um, it didn't seem to um, to work during the installation. Um, and I decided that the best way to go get around that is to uh, do a BIOS update. Um, and, and that would also fix some Spectre bugs and whatnot. Um, I, I downloaded the um, the stuff from the, the BIOS from um, it's a super micro board, so I got that. Okay. Um, and just try to put it on a US 
uh, USB drive and uh, boot with that plugged in, and I couldn't get that to work. Um, since it's a proper server kind of thing and it has the, the whole BMC chip, um, I think that might be the best way to go, but I've never really worked inside of a server room, so I don't know how to turn that on and connect to it and what do you suggest? Okay. Uh, well, so, sorry, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I was trying to scribble down information as, uh, as fast as I could, but so give me the last part of that again. What, what are you, where are you getting hung up? Um, I think the best, maybe to get that BIOS uh, updated, is to go through the IPMI function. Oh, okay, I see. So how do you set up IPMI is essentially what you're, what you're getting at. And how do I connect to it and whatever, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so the what IPMI is for those of you who don't know is a um, a console level access to a server over a network. So it's kind of like hooking an IP KVM up to a server and then accessing it in a web browser. So if you're familiar with um, Dell has has something very very similar uh, built into their uh, IDRAC, I think is what they call it, built into their server system. Uh, IPMI is a super micro equivalent of it. Uh, IP, so first thing to know about IPMI is it works in Java. So you have to have Java installed on Linux. Now the easiest way, the the the, uh, the thing that I use when I use IPMI is actually called um, uh, Java. It's 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 not actually called Java. It's not it's not the regular JRE. It's uh, I'll have to find it. There's another um, there's another there's another plugin that you can use that I actually I found works much better. And uh, of course, now I can't uh, I can't find that plugin. I can't think of what it's called off the top of my head. But I will uh, I'll have a link for you in the in the show notes. Uh, maybe Dipper. Java plugin. Yeah, I'll have I'll have to put I'll have to find it and, and put. It. I can't think of it. Maybe the chat room will help me out. There's a there's another plugin that you that you use. Ice T. There it is. Uh, it's called Iced T. And uh, <laughs> Java Iced T. Of course, I get the joke now. Um, if you uh, if you install Iced T, that is a plugin that will work much better for that IPMI interface because it doesn't give you all the security warnings and errors and all that junk. Um, as far as how to actually set it up, on the back of the Supermicro board, you have two network interfaces. One is assigned to the IPMI interface. One is assigned to your host operating system. You can change that inside of the BIOS. So you can change both if you wanted to for some strange reason to be assigned to the IPMI. You could change both to be assigned to the host operating system or by default. One will be the host operating system. One will be the IPMI interface inside of the inside of the BIOS again you can set this statically but the default will be for IPMI to get an IP address from DHCP so when you plug your server in to the network it will automatically pull an IPMI the IPMI will pull a DHCP address and your regular network card will pull a, a DHCP address now a word of caution if this is going connected to the internet, if you're going to put this out on the internet, you want to keep your IPMI interface closed off. So you don't want your IPMI live on the internet. You want to have to VPN into a network and then connect to IPMI. It's not really it's not really designed with security, protecting your security from a WAN perspective. Um, you can do it. There are people that do it. So it's not like, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, once that IPMI interface gets a DHCP address, and of course you can go into the BIOS and set it statically if you'd like to, you would log into your router and find out what the IP address is that it's pulling. 
and just simply paste that into your web browser. And as long as you have that Ice-T plugin installed, uh, IPMI is going to launch. It's going to prompt you with a, a password. The browser plugin? Yes, Ice-T is the browser plugin. Okay. So you're going to... You're going to plug that, you're going to launch that, and what's going to happen is it's going to prompt you for a password. Now, that can be reset again inside of the BIOS, and once you authenticate into IPMI, you're essentially going to be looking at a, it's basically a VNC session right into your server, except the difference is, instead of VNC normally being the operating system, you get to do everything up to modifying the BIOS over the uh, over the web browser. Okay. So the advantage to that is, uh, Trey, is that you are able to use your, you're able to access console level access to your server from anywhere in the world as long as you got an internet connection. So Alan Jude, for example, he uh, he uses the heck out of IPMI because he has servers all over the world and he they're bare metal servers and he doesn't have anybody there to set them up. And so he when he rents a server, one of his conditions is that they have to set IPMI up for him, and then he v VPNs into their the you know wherever he's hosting its network fires up IPMI, and then he can install his operating system from scratch, uh, from Canada, even if the server is across the world. And him and I actually, I get to actually, I got a front row seat. He bought a new server because they were opening up a new data center somewhere in like Germany or something like that. And uh, while him and I were at JB1, I actually got to watch him reinstall CentOS over IPMI. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, I knew that that's how they did it in the real server world, but didn't know how to get started. Okay, so on to the self bit. Okay. Um, I've been twice, and uh, I was impressed how many children there are there. Yes. And I also thought the fiber track was a really neat idea. Uh, what if there was another track that appealed to children or big children, um, and it was more hands-on kind of stuff, um, you know, Raspberry Pi kind of setups and robot builds and that kind of thing? So I'll tell you a little story. Um, I took my whole family to self uh, this year. Yeah, and last year. And um, my son has really, really, really gotten into computers. Uh, not not from my pushing. He just decided that was just something he wanted to do. And he just he started with Minecraft, and then it got into he wanted to host his own Minecraft server. And then from Minecraft commands, he realized he needed to learn some basic Linux commands to be able to administrate his server. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed, and he got uh, he got just kind of took off with it. He's seven years old for the or eight years old. Sorry for the uh, for the record. And the, the thing that he does is uh, he's he's recently gotten to hosting a web server, and so he makes his little web page and posts his – he kind of has a blog-style thing, and he updates his, his, his web page. And it's just basically he just updates a text file um, that is that has some very basic HTML in it that he picked up, and, and, and he just has fun with it, and I think it's really cool. But he calls all of – every command that he executes in Linux, he calls them pseudos because – you know, from the time he was four or five years old when he started to first, you know, when he would learn how to install Minecraft, the command started with sudo. So everything started with sudo. So he just calls them sudos. And I haven't really bothered to correct him. So he goes to self and he walks up to Simon Quigley, who's actually filling in his call screener tonight. And he's and I said, uh, this is this is Simon and Simon works for daddy. And he does, uh, you know, see, he does uh, he does development. So he he makes things on Linux. And he goes, does he make pseudos? And I said, I don't know if he makes pseudos, but he, he makes things that work in pseudos. He goes, so he knows a lot about pseudos? I said, yeah, he knows a lot about pseudos. So he goes up to Simon and he goes, Simon, teach me pseudos. So Simon very kindly and, and generously spent a couple hours with him and, and was teaching him newer commands. I think that's where he actually learned Vim was from Simon. And they were going through and, and, and he had a grand old time. The next day at Self, um, it wasn't Jason Plum. It was uh, Jim... Uh, 
what's his la- what's Jim's last name? Salter was giving a command on like 30 basic Linux commands you should know. And uh, he comes running, and I was on air at the time, he comes running down the hallway. Dad, there's a whole class on pseudos. Can I go? And I said, yeah, knock yourself out, go. And he was super disappointed because, the you know, obviously the vernacular was not written for eight-year-olds. Um, and, the, and the descriptions were not written for eight-year-olds. And frankly, probably 28 of the 30 commands were not applicable to eight-year-olds. Um, and after that, I actually approached um, JT Pennington, who is one of the lead people at Self, and said, I would like to do a kids track next year. I would like to see if there's a spare room that we could set up and just give some hands-on presentation, maybe with some Raspberry Pis or something like that, on getting maybe a Minecraft server up and running and then having the kids play Minecraft or maybe, you know, some of the things that my kids like to do. Um, and he thought it was a great idea. The question, here's, there are two problems, well, there are three problems with it. The first problem is real estate is a premium at self. And so finding a, sp- a physical space to allocate to to the kids might be a little difficult maybe. And so we're not exactly sure how to tackle that. The second issue is I am busier than a chicken with its head cut off during self. And so to try to set aside enough time to do that might be difficult. So it'd be great if there was somebody like yourself or somebody else that wanted to kind of help out with the children's track. And then the third thing is, I agree with you that there are, there are a, uh, there are a lot more kids that come to self than probably some of the other Linux fests. But I question if there are enough kids all present at the same time that we could actually put them into a room and have them do something together. But I could be wrong. Um, One of the best interviews I think I ever did was with a small child who was doing like incredible things on Linux. Um, And I see him every year uh, time to time itself. I'm not sure if his parents want his name out there or not. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, obviously I bring my kids because I think it's a great experience, but that's a really long winded answer to your question. All right. Well, um, I have, uh, six and seven year olds, so, um, I'm going to make it their science fair project to come up with something that, um, might be that kind of hands-on build thing. Yeah. Do me a favor, Trey, if you'd send an email, I'll make us. Yeah, if you I'll could submit it to uh, as a talk. Yeah, please. And actually, if you would, uh, if you would uh, send me an email live at asknoahshow.com, Jeremy picks all of the talks blindly, so there's nothing I can. I, there's no way I can say like, "Oh, I'll talk to him for you." And I'm, I'm, I'm sure if I went to him and said, "Hey, Jeremy, this is what we'd like to do, and would you support it?" I'm sure he would go, "Yep, that sounds like a great idea." The problem is, there's no way for him to even do it because the way that the talk submission is set up, it strips out all of the identifying information when he picks them. So there's absolutely no way for him to say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to make sure that talk gets guaranteed." He just, there's no way for him to do it. Well, that's fine. But, I mean, but but if, what it, if they do do it? A kids track, then I'll submit it, and may the best submissions win. Right, right. But what I was going to say was, if you're okay with it, if you send me an email live at asknowashow.com, what I'll do is I'll take your contact information down, and even if they decide they can't do a a full-on official uh, kids track, Maybe you and I can plan something Friday night or Saturday night during one of the uh, during the one of the parties or whatever. Maybe while one of the other rooms isn't being used, maybe it wouldn't be an official thing. Maybe you and I could just you know stealthily steal a projector and just okay. get the word out and say, hey, we're going to be hanging out with kids this particular night, so if you want to join, you can do that. Super. Good idea. Yeah, I'd make it happen. I will do. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate the calls. one 855 450 or you can join us in our interactive mumble room, mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. Brandon did that. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, good to be back. Hey, man. Uh, how is, uh, I heard you're going to be in my neck of the woods. That's what a little birdie told me. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I should hopefully I'll be up in Minneapolis first week of November. Okay. So. Well, you. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is this is gonna be too funny. Hey, Brad, what's going on? So, so I'm more alive. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. How's it going? You what? How's it going, man? I'm I good. So um, apparently I'm a moron. Yeah, well. I figured out, <laughs> I figured out what was going on there. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll... So maybe I maybe I can. Oh no, you haven't figured out what's going on. Hey Brad, maybe look at your clock and uh, maybe I could give you a call back a little bit later. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's no big deal. I won't be able to make it out there tonight. So yeah. We'll just give me a shot. Okay, sounds good, dude. I don't think he did figure it out. <laughs> Sorry about that. That that guy should know better. Uh, <laughs> when he does, it's gonna be pretty funny. Anyway, yeah. So uh, we're gonna. So anyway, I was. What I was gonna say was, you'll be back out there in, in November. I will. Um, I'll. Uh, I'll make a trip out to Minneapolis, and I'll. Uh, I'll come hang out. Uh, you know, just just for you. And in fact, I'm not sure if we can arrange this or if we'll make it. If we can make the timing work, but we want to do our hundredth episode from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and that's going to come up in ten short episodes. So if we do some specials in between here and there, we might be able to facilitate it. I don't know exactly how much time you have, but maybe we can schedule that and we can have a big old party, invite a bunch of people. But totally yeah. up to you. Anyway, I you wanted to make a comment about password managers, and this show has gotten drug off the rails like six times today. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, uh, on the password manager, um, one of the things I'm looking at uh, implementing is uh, um, Bitwarden. So the reason why I'm looking at yes. Bitwarden, so they have the uh, uh, the hosted solution, but they also have an on-prem that you can implement. Uh, but what's really uh, cool cool about it is it can interact with your uh, with like Active Directory uh, or LDAP so it can so you can actually have that back end and then you can share passwords between people so that's one of the things I'm looking at implementing uh, uh, at my new company so it's a uh, 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 for uh, for, ma- for managing passwords for the for the environments I'm implementing awesome yeah I, I'm a, you know I'm a, so Bitwarden is what I use personally I use the um I use the self-hosted version, but Bitwarden is what I'm using personally for password managers. The issue that I have with Bitwarden is there does not seem to be, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe you'll correct me. It's okay if you do, but I, I'm not, I haven't seen any sort of team settings on here. It seems like I'd either have to give the master password. Oh, nope. I lied. Share your vault right here. Huh? Yeah. That's so new. You can do, yeah, you can do, uh, you can do sharing. What's cool about it is you can also do the, uh, uh, like, uh, it, on the, it, that, that's been there for a while. So like uh, I use the hosted Bitwarden for to share passwords with my wife and uh, makes it really easy. Um, I think it's pretty cool. The only, the only uh, problem I have with it is you need to use uh, Microsoft SQL Server, but uh, but it runs on Linux. So what, right. Um, all, all so much the better. So. Yeah, I've been I've been a huge fan of Bitwarden. In fact, when anytime I see somebody using LastPass, I'm like, hey, you're using old tech. You should uh, you should go ahead and upgrade and and, and get with 2018 and switch over to Bitwarden. The th- the, you know, the thing is, Brandon, and this is what I don't understand. I get it, right? If there's a self-hosted solution and the proprietary thing, I get it. If some people are like, well, I don't want the overhead, right? I I can understand that. But can can anybody out there? Give me a reason of why someone would use LastPass over Bitwarden. Because Bitwarden has feature by feature everything that LastPass has. And they offer it as a hosted solution for free. So it's not like you pay for anything if you don't want to. Um, or you can self-host. I, I, I just, I haven't quite figured out what the, uh, why, how LastPass is still, uh, is still so popular. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Well, I... I... I never used LastPass for password management. I was using um, Pass, <laughs> the uh, okay. command line uh, sure. uh, Unix password uh, manager. But 
uh, which just used GPG underneath the covers. You know, in fact, I still use it, but I needed something that my wife could use. So Bitwarden really fit the bill because there's that pretty UI. But of course, there's also the uh, there's also a CLI for it, so I don't lose anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for bringing some attention to Bitwarden. Absolutely a fantastic project, a huge, huge, huge fan of mine. And also, have you played with the Multipass? Not yet. So for those of you who don't know, if you haven't heard me talk about it, it is a it's also another fantastic password manager. The Multipass is a device that is a hardware password manager. It uses a smart card to encrypt or decrypt your passwords. But it will allow you to either access your password manager as a built-in, you know, Firefox or Chrome plugin, or you can actually have it spit out your passwords in keyboard form. So, for example, when you're authenticating into DigitalOcean, for example, and you're using their on-screen console, or if you're authenticating into IPMI, and you can't, and you can't, uh, you can't use the copy-paste function because it's, you know, remotely controlling and all those kinds of things. Multipass, M-U-L-T-I, the or M-O-O-L-T-I, the multipass will allow you to emulate a keyboard and enter a password. So it's another fantastic option to look at. Password managers are great, and there's a lot of really cool ones out there. Thanks, Brandon, for joining the show. We, we'll get you back soon. Yep. See yep. you later. Thanks, man. We'll uh, and and make sure to let me know when you're in um, Minneapolis. I'd love to to uh, to get together with you. If anybody else could interrupt the show at some point, that would be really great. It's like my phones didn't work. My my uh, my headphones weren't working at the very beginning of the program. I got interrupted by two different calls. I, oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, 1-855-450-855-450-6624. So Oslo, Minnesota. Got a call from a the owner of a car dealership, and he said, um, we would like to upgrade our security cameras. We would like to to go to IP cameras. That we want them to record everywhere. We want them to flag motion. We want 1080p video. We want it all to be managed from a web browser because, you know, we'd like to be able to get to it from any device at any time. All of those things. Um, they wanted good mobile support. Uh, and, you know, they want to push alerts when something happens. All of these really cool things. And so we, we went out and I did a, a site survey and the project was massive. Span probably... I don't know, maybe two and a half miles-ish, somewhere in there. I think was... The, well, maybe not. Maybe not quite that far. Maybe like... Um, Mile and a half. I'm not sure what it was from one into the other. It was really far. It was far enough that we had to drive uh, from from one place to another. Uh, and we had to get cameras all over the place. And the issue was there were certain places where it was just too far. It was just not physically possible to run a wire. And there was no Internet like there was. They have car lots because it's such a they do such a good job at their business. This is the place that you want to buy a car from. They told me I found out when I was there on Friday. The name of the place is Dolster Motors. The, I was there on Friday, and the, the one of the guys told me that they have people that come as far as Arizona that drive here just to buy cars from these guys because they do such an amazing job. They treat people so well, and they give them such a good deal on their vehicles. And the customer service is through the roof, and I, I saw that firsthand. Um, and I've actually bought I, before they were a customer. I've actually bought in, uh, all every every new car I've ever bought, and I bought in from Dolster Motors, Motors, and they've been fantastic. But uh, we're doing the site survey, and it's like, man, this is this is a big job. And um, the other thing is, I personally, up until recently, have not had a lot of experience with IP radios. And so if you're not familiar with the IP radios, it's essentially two access points, but they're very, very powerful and they're very, very directional. And you can shoot up to 17 kilometers. So I don't know what that is. I don't know what the monkey math is on that for us uh, Americans, but it's, it's a long, long way, way more than we needed to go. And uh, as I'm looking at about how we're going to put these IP radios and get signals out to these lampposts because they have these lots in the middle of nowhere because they just have so many cars because they're so high volume, 
they want to keep cameras on these cars, but there's no way to get internet out there. So I called up uh, a good friend of mine, Mr. Chris DeLuca. Chris DeLuca is a network uh, engineer from uh, West Virginia, works for Putnam County Schools, and uh, is, is willing to do anything to help kids and to get them on Linux. And so one of the things that he did was he set up a broadcasting system based on OBS on Linux so that he could get these kids to do their morning announcements. We, I actually drove out to West Virginia. We did a segment with him. It was a, good, a grand time and got to know him and his family pretty well and uh, realized pretty early on that this guy really knows his stuff when it comes to networking and when it comes to specifically IP radios. And he actually had a, a, um, like a museum farm thing they called him up and said, we want to do this thing. And he said, I can set that up with IP radios. And when he told me about the project, I thought, man, that is, that takes some skill to get that to work. And, you know, he's very modest, which is why I have him on hold because I, he can't defend himself. But um, I, 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 so I called him up. I said, you know, if I, I'll, I'll pay you X amount of money. I want to fly you out here. I want you to stay here for a couple of days and I want you to work your butt off and, and get all of these radios installed. And he said, yeah, I, I, I'd be willing to do that. So we, we flew him out here and uh, <laughs> well, I'll get his opinion here in a second, but I think he got a front row seat to uh, to why I'm why I don't answer telegrams because I stay pretty busy. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh oh, am I on? Yeah, you're on. That's when I when I say Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. That's your cue. Uh, all I heard was Ask Noah Show. Uh, oh. I'm going to derail this and uh, okay. start by saying that Brad Schmidt guy. We need to fire him. <laughs> He you know the, the here's the here's the here's the truth. The truth is if I if I was actually upset about it, I would just would have not answered the call. It's just it's too funny that because he should know. Like I there's only one show I you know there's only one show I do every single week at the same time and this is it. And he knows because he's in here and has to switch everything on Mondays at 10 a.m. when he does his show. So it's just kind of funny. And then when I was talking to him on the phone, just the way that on-air talent talk it's different than the way that we talk when we're off the air a little bit. Like there's, there's, we just use a, a different vernacular and we use a different vocal style. Those are all things that I would think he would pick up on. And I, I don't know that he ever did. I think he was thinking about something else because him and I are meeting up later, or we were going to meet up later tonight. Sounds like he called to cancel, but, um, but yeah, no, I, so some, everybody give Brad a hard time on Monday at 10 AM, call a show and, uh, <laughs> and give him a hard time. I'm going to I'm going to call in and I'm going to tell him he needs to be fired just like the weatherman. So. Exactly. You know, one of the things that you know, one of the here's the thing the, the the cool thing about podcasting, though, Brad can't be fired. He'd have to fire himself because he doesn't work for anybody but himself. No, that's true. So, yes, I can attest to Noah has little to no time to let alone look at his phone uh, it, it, or even answer uh telegrams and now i have a larger respect and and i will just telegram you more often if you don't answer me <laughs> yeah well it doesn't yeah it doesn't hurt anything the uh, you and i i think at our long i think at our i think at, at i think at the worst stretch of the week i think we worked for 24 hours straight yes yeah just shy of that we left we left the house at, i mean we left the house at 7 30 and we pulled back into the driveway you stay with me we pulled back into the driveway at 7 30 so i mean we, we it was basically 24 and that was to get well that was the home stretch and we thought we were done and i think i telegrammed you about this earlier chris but we actually we missed uh we there was one camera that they didn't tell us about that we had to do so in addition to the two that we knew we didn't get done that we we're going to have to go that i had to go back and do um there's actually a third one and it's at a really pain in the butt location Wonderful. so yeah, it was a pain. But so, well, I'm, I'm, I was just gonna say I'm glad I'm home. I can't see it from Charleston. 
Yeah, <laughs> that was just, so that so inside uh, a little inside baseball there. Every time I would I would ask his opinion on something, he started out by saying, "Your client." So you tell me what you want to do, and I said, "No, listen, you have more experience with this particular thing, and you you know you are you're a very knowledgeable and capable IT guy. I want your opinion. What would you, what do you think we should do? Because sometimes just hearing what somebody else would do will tell me why they're wrong, and then I'll tell you why I want to do it a different way. And um, what he started the answer he started to give me was. Well, the, what you're suggesting a look great from West Virginia, which was translation. Uh, I don't care what we do. I just want to get done because my back hurts and you've kept me up for 24 hours. I believe sleep deprivation and um, dozens and dozens and dozens of up and down a 30 foot ladder kind of played into that answer a little bit. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, well, that was the other thing, too. Chris doesn't like heights, apparently, because we put him up. We were at a we were, he was on top of a 50 foot uh, telephone pole that didn't have any telephone wire on it. And uh, and uh, and he said it was uh, it was a little uncomfortable swaying back and to and fro. Yes, it was. The wind was very was it was there was a lot of wind and it was a lot colder than we had expected. But you know, so yes, it was a it was a it was a good time. It was a good time, and you know, the thing is, all things considered, every project, you know, of course, I opened my mouth too soon, but every project has a gotcha, right? Like everything, every project you go through, and you can always point to a project and say. That was the hardest part right there. That was the one thing that really drove us nuts. And the, the the funniest thing, we got through all of the stuff that should have been hard. The IP radios, it took a little bit longer because it was, what was it? Uh, what was it, Chris? 19 degrees above zero? Uh, 16 at yes. the coldest? Yes, I believe it. it, it got, uh, well, I think it got 14 at night and it warmed up. A, it was very overcast. It might have gotten 20 during the day, but it was still cold. And to be clear, we worked at night, so it's not like that's all we were at home and better, whatever. But um, so it, it was cold, and that just slowed everything down because you're just your hands physically don't work as well when it's 14 degrees. And uh, Chris left. Uh, what'd you say it was when you left? 80 degrees in West Virginia. Uh, honestly, that the day I left, it was 91. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a weather shock. But so all of the stuff that should have been hard, mounting those radios. It took a little bit longer than we thought, but we didn't really run into any problems. Where the the stupidest thing is what hung us up, and this was at twenty. We were literally we were up for twenty four. We were probably up for lo- more than twenty four hours because we'd been working for twenty four hours. But we uh, the last the last little bit, there was a shop that was a long too far away for us to shoot a radio reliably, and so we had a second internet a uh, second WAN connection, and we did some configuration with the routers and all of that to get the two sites connected, and. Um, all we needed to do was tell these cameras to look through this particular network path to get to this to, to get to the DVR. And for some reason, my 26-hour awake brain could not figure could not problem solve. And and we eventually like Chris is sitting there and he's like, just send the feeds unencrypted. Who cares anymore? Let's just get it done. And I'm like, no, it's uh, it's all right. Well, I'll come back. So we get, we get in the car and we drive home. And, uh, and and we both go to bed, and I think I slept for three hours, maybe four, and I, I just couldn't sleep anymore. I'm like, I just, I got to go back and, and figure it out. And uh, I wake up, in, I'm in that hazy state in between sleep and awake, and I figure out, I'm like, ah, this is the problem. I know what the problem is. And uh, the issue was, uh, I, which I figured out in my sleep, the other cameras that we had adopted remotely had newer firmware on them. And so I surmised that, and there was also some weird issues with the the web interface on the cameras because of the older firmware. And I surmised, I thought, that's probably a problematic firmware. And the other ones we know we adopted remotely, but that was because they had newer firmware. I'll bet you if I, I bet you if I take them and upgrade the firmware, they will adopt remotely. And sure enough, climbed up my own 30 foot pole, pulled the cameras down, updated the firmware, plugged them back in. Bob's your uncle. It worked. 
and uh, and then and then we, then we went home and we ate some burgers and then went home. <laughs> yeah. You you had a question. I'm sorry. I, I kind of derailed it because like, people were really wanting an update. So I, I just wanted to update that it was a, it was a fun job. We installed oh, a oh, no, I, crud ton of cameras, but it was it was a fun. And we had a good time. No, absolutely. Um, the, the the question I actually had was uh, about the virtual machine manager. Okay. Because you know, uh, as you were speaking earlier, I'm trying to get OS ticket installed. Be- because I think it's just, I think it's the way to go, like you said, and I would love to have my own um, knowledge base. Yeah. Uh, so my, my question is, why would I use Virtual Machine Manager on another computer to remotely connect to a uh, QEMU KVM server? I log in to the server, and it asks for my password. When I try to open the VM, it asks me for my password 10 times. And I have to keep typing it. Yeah. Long about time number seven, the screen actually comes into view, but it still asks me three more times for my password. Frankly, I'm surprised. Frankly, I'm surprised it ever lets you in. I, I didn't know if you entered it enough times it would connect. I, I here's the thing: you apparently have a higher tolerance for ping pong than I do, because when when that happened to me, I I let it go like three times, and I was like, uh, I'm done now. I'm gonna fi- figure out what's wrong with this. The reason is because there is a plugin missing, and the plugin is uh, called OpenSSH-AskPass. And uh, I'll have a link for you in the show notes. But uh, essentially, uh, what you do is, if you, re- if you the, the error message should say, if you read it, it should say, you need to install OpenSSH or similar to connect to this host. And um, and essentially, yeah, you just install it, it the... Never kicks back, it never kicks back an error message. Really? It just keeps bouncing back, it just huh? It keeps asking for... No, just you know, here's... So here's... The, Here's the other here's the other possibility. The other possibility, actually, now that now that you're describing it, I'll bet you this is the problem. Go into uh, preferences and under uh, new VM under the new VM tab, change the graphics to uh, to VNC from I think it should be I think the default is spice. Change it to VNC and that will fix that problem. Really? Yep, I'm I'm 99 sure if it's the problem I'm thinking of. And here's the other thing too. I mean, this is kind of a this is kind of a, a cop out for the for the for the podcast. But uh, you have the bat line, so I mean, you can call me on my cell phone, and uh, you know, I'll help you. But uh, but what I mean to say is, uh, give me a call back next week if that doesn't work, and I'd be happy to help you. But I'll, I'll bet you uh, I'll bet you a burger at the no- I'll bet you I'll bet you a burger at the Nook since that's your favorite place. That uh, open SSH dask ask pass, or I'm sorry, yeah, that uh, changing that uh, display server to, to VNC on create new VM will fix that. And if that doesn't fix it, install open SSH dot ask pass. I'm doing it now. I will try it. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. Let me know. 1 855 450 Noah, 855 450 Some of you know that I have been getting more and more into radio lately. Absolutely fell in love with this industry, started the Ask Noah show and wanted to promote it locally and um, started working for a small LPFM and got hired by a a very large broadcast organization. Third, They have the third largest radio station in the state in Grand Forks, and they have a ton of stations all around the all around the country. And um, and so I I work from time to time, a part time filling in on various stations uh, when I can there a lot more often than uh, than I ever thought I would be when I first started. But uh this week I I have it's basically it's a it's a full docket the rest of the week uh on other people's shows. So I wanted to uh, just give you a brief rundown if you uh, if you like what we do here and you want to hear it in a slightly different facet. There's a number of ways to get it. The f- so 
starting back on Monday, Brad Schmidt, the guy who called us in the middle of the program, who who who, who phone bombed the phone, the, uh, the the show, uh, does a political show every Mondays at 10 a.m. Central. And we actually pick up his stream and restream it at asknoahshow.com. But you can find the whole full show at theschmidtshow.com or you can download it at podcast.theschmidtshow.com. And uh, I uh, will have a link for that in the show notes, too. But I was I joined him on Monday. We talked guns. So if you're interested in guns and firearms and self-defense, he came into a situation where he almost had to kill somebody. Uh, and so we discussed the uh, the ramifications of that and the implications of that. It was a pretty cool discussion. So make sure to check that out. I joined him for that discussion. It was a good time. Uh, obviously, Ask Noah show was today. Wednesday, I'll be on 1310 AM, 1079 FM on KNOX on Wednesday from 1 PM to 3 PM central time. By the way, all of this will be streamed at asknoahshow.com. Uh, until I am told otherwise, I, anytime I have an air shift at one of these stations, I restream it on asknoahshow.com, mostly so I can record it for my own personal collection, but it just means that you can, uh, you can listen to it too. Uh, Thursday, uh, from nine to 11, I'll be on, uh, I'll be in St. Paul, uh, which is outside of Minneapolis, uh, 9 to 11 on KNSI. And then that afternoon, I will be on 1310 KNOX from 1 to 3. And Friday, I will also be on KNOX from 1 to 3. So I will be, uh, I'll be doing a lot of radio this week. Oh, and then Friday, I will be on Destination Linux. So if politics isn't your thing and Sweet Sweet Linux is your thing, then join me on uh, on Destination Linux. Uh, so check that out. Um, th- those are th- those are there's a bunch of really cool uh, people that really love uh, Linux. Uh, my good friend Michael Tanell from Tux Digital is now uh, kind of uh, steamrolling that or uh, not steamrolling, but spearheading that show. And so he's carrying the torch forward. And uh, he gave me a call this week and said, "Hey, we'd love to have you on." So I'm gonna guest host with them. And so uh, I'll be talking politics the first half of the week and uh, and Linux the latter half of the week. So all in all, I think I've got I don't know when I added it up. I think I'll be on the air for like ten hours. For the whole week, so it'll be a uh, ten hours airtime is a lot of time to fill, but uh, really, really, really have enjoyed working with uh, Layton Broadcasting and the entire crew out there. Get to work with Brad out there too, which is pretty fun. In fact, one of the things that him and I are going to do is um, they bought like uh, twenty thousand dollars worth of broadcasting equipment, and um, they called me up and they went, "Hey, you know how to install this stuff, right?" I said, "Yeah." They go, oh, "Okay," because our engineer is in St. Paul and um, he's not scheduled to come for a trip. So, can you come install it? I said, "Sure, I would love to." And so uh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to order a pizza and uh, I'm going to go and play with some really, really expensive stuff. And uh, I'm not (laughs) I'm not sure because I didn't actually listen to the phone call, but I think Brad may join me or Brad may not join me. And uh, time will tell. I want to just take a second to just thank everybody who listens to the Ask Noah show. Really, really appreciate it. When we see the download numbers go up, when I see the kind comments that come in on the email live at asknoahshow.com. It really, really means something. And of course, asknoahshow.com slash better. We're always taking your suggestions on how we can improve the show, how we can make the show better. Uh, I'd invite you to follow us on Twitter. You can get live up-to-date information at follow us at asknoahshow. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube channel. Right now, there's not a lot of videos on there, but like when we were doing the Wisp, we actually took a bunch of uh, video clips and we're going to compile those into an edited product that we're going to put up on uh, the Ask Noah Show uh, uh, YouTube channel. And so check that out as well as we're going to feature a Linux guy that did a small, a tiny house and built it out with a bunch of really cool networking gear. All that on the YouTube Ask Noah uh, channel. Huge thanks to Simon Quigley for filling in for, with Call Screener. We'll be back next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, asknoahshow.com. Asknoahshow.com.